0: Org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday Morning Mosaic Worship Service, Garfield Memorial Church, Widening the Circle. Amen. So, so now you know. Um, we want to greet, uh, as soon as my mic gets on, um, want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online. Um, Now you know that Pastor Kurt is not a bot. He's a real human person. And so when he's greeting you, um, he's there. Uh, Am I off on here, bro? Is it my fault? All right. Huh? Tell me. Let me know. We good? Yeah? Oh, there it is. All right. Holy Spirit, come. So want to, again, greet all of you who are worshiping with us online, um, and uh, we're so glad. You know, when Pastor Kurt started that, we realized our online engagement. You know, we had, like, sometimes 15 folks online checking us out. Last week, we had, like, 170 folks online, so God bless you, Kurt, and what you're doing. We're so glad for that, and it's, um, it's helping us with our engagement uh, beyond today. Now you guys got me so loud that I'm scared to preach, um, but... We started a series last week and I am going to ask you, be patient with me today. If you're a new guest, I hope you'll come back. This has been a big week. Um, My wife is not here today and she's always here and I don't preach very well when she's not here. Her dad passed away last week, some of you know. Uh, She got hug therapy last Sunday, uh, but we laid him to rest um, on Friday. Um, I said the words that is homegoing, and so she was just not up to coming today. So keep her in your prayers. Uh, And last week we spent the week our our leadership team in Dallas at the Mosaics National Conference. Only happens three times a year. If you don't know the Mosaics Global Network, its mission is to deal with something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. grieved about in 1955 when he was fighting back against apartheid in America. Um, One of his greatest griefs was that the church, the people of God, were one of the most segregated institutions in America. And he said 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. In 2004, only 3% of churches in America had any ethnic diversity of, you know, of, of, of any kind of stature. And so Mosaics was formed to try to address that. And finally... In America, try to get the church reflective of where it's going. Revelation 7-9, every tongue, tribe, and nation will worship at the throne. I had somebody say to me, you know, when I've been teaching on this and preaching about this, said, you know, I'm just not comfortable in diverse church. I like my own music. I like this. I said, boy, are you going to be uncomfortable in heaven? (laughs) And one of the speakers at Mosaic said, Chip, some of them won't have to worry about that. So, uh, Garfield Memorial, I don't know if you know this, but you are a frontline teaching church in this movement. And we were featured at that conference, and Justin was on stage for all the worship, and Dre and Leah and Vondra Matlock and all of our leaders were out there teaching and sharing and volunteering, and we are moving the needle. And they just reported at the conference that now 16% of churches in America are now showing uh, ethnic economic diversity in their pews that's a long we got a long way to go we got a long way to go but the needle's being moved okay so um we were there and then i had to fly back thursday night because uh, dad's funeral was friday morning we were supposed to get back to cleveland at 11:50. we got back at 3 20 in the morning um due to mechanical failures and everything i was praying my god get this plane off the ground because my wife needs to be there for her dad's funeral. I need to speak at it. Um, and then we turn around, went to Canton at 6 a.m. So uh, if, I'm, if I'm a little emotional, discombobulated today, if you're a guest, come back. <laughs> I should have told you all go to South Euclid today and hear Pastor Scott. <laughs> we started a series last week called From Tablet to Table. Um, a, a theologian, a friend of mine who's been writing lots of books, wrote a book by this uh, title, Uh, A few years ago, Leonard Sweet, and what he was dealing with, if you were here last week when we kicked this off, is we now have a society that spends a lot more time in tablets and devices than we do at tables. I shared last week a a friend who had a college uh, roommate of her daughter come home for a weekend and she had dinner with the family and that, and she was uncomfortable because she'd never, ever, ever in her life sat with family at table. After I preached that last week, I had a developer come up to me and said, you know, in places like, you know, Denver and and California, where space is an issue for building houses, like when they try to build a nice house and they they can't afford all the square footage, guess what's the first room that they don't build? Dining Dining room. So modern houses are now being built without tables. So we talked about bring back the table. We need... The table back into our society, into our families. I shared a lot of statistics about children that sit at table, how healthy they are as they grow up. And in the church, we need to bring back the table. We need to get back where we're sitting together and connecting with each other. And as Dr. King grieved about in 1955, sometimes we're the worst to do it. So at Harvard Business School, they always have a question. They say, before you deal with an issue, there's question zero, right? Ever heard of ground zero? Like question zero, the question that needs to be asked and answered before anything else. So here's the question zero to get to the table today. The question is, who needs to be welcomed? If I keep doing this, it's going to come up. Who needs to be... (laughs) Who should there it is. Who should be welcome and gathered together at Jesus' table? Your answer. Anyone? Everyone? All. right? Right? Um, anyone? We can say those things. Anybody? Everybody believes that, raise your hand. Just I don't usually do this, but if you believe everyone should be welcome at Christ's table? OK, 100 percent of you do. How many of you know this is not happening? Not in politics. Not in community, we're divided by economics, right? Neighborhoods are divided by economics, right? Um, Churches, we had a prominent person a few weeks ago who wasn't allowed to go to the table at his church because he didn't support a particular issue. So we all know this, all of you raise your hand, that we should, everybody should be welcome at Christ's table But it's not happening. So that's why I want to read this passage real quick from Luke 14 where Jesus talks about table invitations. Jesus said, this is the way the table should look like. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place, but when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to your friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored. See, what this is, this is very practical advice because Jesus is saying in that day and age when you come to a table, like there may be a guest of honor that's more prominent than you. So if you sit on the dais, right, and then um, Pope Francis walks in, Chip, they may say, give up your seat. Like, so don't be embarrassed. Sit in a lowly place and then God will bring you up. Do you see the humbling, right? Um, in the presence of all, sit at the table with you. So, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid, Right? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. See what? I, I didn't want to say quid pro quo in this sermon. I really didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I, 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 I actually Googled it to find a, another term. There isn't any. But in that day and age, it was quid pro quo. It was like if you invite someone, if you bring someone in, then they were expected to repay you, right? It was networking. And Jesus said, don't, don't just be in that. Not at my table. Invite people who can never repay you and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, Blessed is anyone who ate bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I've got a new Range Rover. i got to try it out and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town. And bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done. And there's still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes. And compel people to come in. So that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Do you feel the the heart of God wanting us so bad? to come to this table. And in the midst of our grief and our family and dealing with everything, I was so energized going back uh, to the Mosaics table this past week to be with progressives and conservatives and people from every culture and every nation and different denominations and non-denominations and across faith groups and across the country and even the world. And, you know, as I was one of the speakers, I got to sit back in the green room with member, you know, people from Finland and, and different cultures and And new friends and old friends, and I was at the table. I was at the table that Jesus created, right? People who aren't at that table. We don't do this well. Jesus has to compel people. Do you hear the scripture? Compel people to come in. Because we're so comfortable in our own little personalities, and our own little preferences, and our own little past experiences. And how do we do this, right? Um, Garfield Memorial, you guys are a teaching church. We do a lot of teaching for churches through the Mosaics Network. We're always working. Right now, we're working about 50 churches uh, from Atlanta, from uh, Missouri. Uh, we got a group coming on from Syracuse, another group in D.C. we got another group uh, coming online from uh, uh, Michigan. And we're always helping to teach. Not that we have this all figured out. If you're looking for the perfect church, we ain't it. Let's get that right. But we're, we're trying to figure this out together. And there's a young man, young African-American pastor in his 30s from Atlanta who just blessed my life. I talked to him out there. And we, he just came on. He said, Chip, I want to learn this. We had our first teaching with me and Mark DeMoss and, and the group in the, the second group in Atlanta we're coaching. And uh, his name is Robert King. And he's from Atlanta. And he's a young African-American pastor. So I said, wait a minute. Your name is King from Atlanta. He goes, no, not that one. I said, okay, because if you're that one, I got to sit at your feet here, right? But he said to me something. We were talking about the challenge. He said something that was so profound that I had. I told him last week. I'm going to share it. If you're watching, Dave Robert, I told what I said as it is written, so it shall be done. That's my best, Yol runner. But um, what he said to me, he said he said to our group when we were there. He said, you know what, the African American church, the historical Black church has been entrusted with the story of the African-American community. If you know anything about the historical black church, it's not just church. It was the center of of all society for a community under the oppression of slavery and apartheid, which was four-fifths of our American experience. We're only 50 years out of 250 plus into this new experience post-slavery and apartheid. And so they have been given, like Frodo was given the ring in Lord of the Rings, right? The the historical black church was entrusted with the story. And he said, but our community is becoming more Hispanic. And so we're trying to figure out how we can keep our story and make rooms for more stories at our table. Do you hear that? Right. So if you ever, you ever wonder, say, well, why do we do stuff in black history? And why do we sing, lift every voice and sing in our choir, the black national anthem? And why did we the only church in Cleveland that celebrated the 50th anniversary of the, the assassination of Dr. Mal- if you ever know, because we're, we're, as a multi-ethnic church, we're responsible to help with these stories. But how do we make room for other stories? right? How many of you know when you go to Thanksgiving this year or Christmas, you'll go to the table and hear some of the same old stories? Come on. I mean, freed table, I mean, we tell the stories hundreds of times, and we still laugh. Why? Because it's your story, right? I mean, the freed family, we've got, my wife says to my brother-in-laws, we're the outlaws. you got to work hard to get into the freed family. Like, we got a narrative. we got a story. And guess what? That story is precious, and it's loved, and it's ordained by God. But so is other stories. And how do we make room at our table? For stories. I got something on my heart this year. If you're, if you are, I don't want anybody at Garfield Memorial Church this year, of our 1,200 folks, I don't want anybody to celebrate Thanksgiving alone. So if your kids are out of town or you're alone or whatever, I want to know that. And I want you to, Hit me up, Chip Freed on Facebook, Chip Freed on Twitter, Chip Freed on on Instagram, uh, chip at garfieldchurch.org and say, you know what, if there's anybody going to celebrate a table on this Thanksgiving, there's room at our table. Please email me, will you do that? And take, you know, let's do that. Let's make sure none of us. But there are people that are isolated from tables. And they can't get in. Because we won't make room for their stories. Derwin Gray is a brother, uh, an African-American pastor in the multi-ethnic movement. Uh, He he pastors down in uh, Virginia. He was a former D-back for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, And, and, you know, and he is all in the multi-ethnic movement. He said, I'm so sick of people saying they're colorblind. That's offensive. Don't ever say you don't see color. He said, don't be colorblind, be colorblast. Be blessed by the stories. By, by, but you know, Paul said, I want the manifold wisdom of God to be made known. Do you know what the word manifold meant in Greek? Multicolored. I want all the facets of God's table at my table. Everyone come with the stories. We need to learn how to hear these stories, and religion has been one of the worst at this. We don't do this very well. The world doesn't do it. We know that politically, economically, but we don't do it very well because we get in our little boxes, right? Um, in fact, it's Qumran, the little Dead Sea Scrolls. They had a, a manifesto that uh, nobody smitten um, should be able to come to the table, paralyzed, deaf and dumb. That was their rule of the congregation. Look what Leviticus says. Man, you guys are jumping me, man. You're stealing my thunder. Um, Leviticus says this in chapter 21. No one who has a blemish shall draw near. That means comes into the presence of God. How many here have a blemish? I got a big bald spot on my head. I've got, you know, two chins. I mean, like, I can't get in. One who is blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long or one who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf. And I put dot, 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 because you go read this, it's x-rated after that. Like, even the church, even God's law, and some people believe this was a rabbinical addition to Scripture. You can come hit me up later and ask what that means. But, like, like we all struggle who can come to the table because we've got our own personalities, we've got our own preferences. But how many know that God has gospel radical hospitality? Here's what Leonard Sweet wrote in his book. I'm just going to read this to you and I'll, I'll preach it out. He said, Jesus broke all the dining rules of his day. Hello, somebody. Introducing a whole new set of table manners. He ate on fast days. Per the law, when people should be fasting, Jesus was eating. He ate with dirty hands. Sorry, Mom. Uh, he ate with tax collectors. He called a sinner out of a tree and invited himself to his home for dinner. He sipped well at the, at the bucket of a Samaritan woman. Ines McBride, who's a Nicaraguan pastor at Mosaics, who I want to bring here to Garfield so much, said it this way. She said, he put his Jewish lips on the cup of a Samaritan woman. How many remember when we couldn't drink from the same water fountains? And Jesus said, I will have none of that. And he went and crossed that, that to the other. With no home of his own, Jesus ate as a guest in someone's house every day of his missionary life. D- Jesus upset the table. He, he brought in a whole new uh, understanding of the table that we can't seem to do. Right? and because we want we want everybody to know our story but we can't hear their story we just came out of the temperament study i'm a yellow and here's the problem i have when you tell me one of your stories i gotta one-up you i can say well you know i went through this like someone say i traveled to switzerland oh and i traveled to you know like it's so sinful but we have to do it because we're so selfish it's the one characteristic, all the temperaments claim. You know, we gotta show you, oh, I got the, oh, you did this, I did this, I did this. Sometimes you just gotta listen and hear the story. Do you care enough about me that you will sit in the ash heap with me when I'm hurting and hear my story? That's 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 what we're called to do. But we don't do it very well. So Grace Jesun Kim. A Korean pastor at our conference shared with us something from Augustine, Saint Augustine, who had four rules for embracing the other. So I want to ground this, the end of this message, in this what Jesus is teaching in Luke 14. Augustine basically interpreted it this way, and his first rule was of the four rules was love one another. Now, you have right here I hope you get that, <laughs> like that's ground zero. Like not tolerate one another, not accept one another, not be nice to one another, but agape, love one another. Jesus, that was his mandate in the upper room. That's why on the last supper, we call it Monday Thursday, because it was the supper of the mandate. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Moses gave you 10. You didn't pass any of them. I'll give you one. Love one another as I have loved you. Some people think this is the second commandment. Don't ever believe that. When asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That was in Deuteronomy. And he said, and the second is like it, meaning the word was equal. Love others as you love yourself. This is the first rule. To get into the table, we have to legitimately love Right? And the second one is this. Stop being afraid of people who look different than you by breaking bread together. Right? In fact, Augustine felt the opposite of love. Ellie Wiesel says is indifference. St. Augustine said the opposite of love is fear. How many know Jesus said perfect love casts out all fear? Right? We are so afraid. Invite... Welcoming strangers is a commandment of the Bible. We are to call, we said, welcome the stranger. You know what the word is for that? It's called Philo philo-xenia. philoxenia. Welcome the stranger. Philo means love. Love the stranger. Love the foreigner. But what do we do in our country right now and other places in the world? We practice xenophobia. Fear of the other. Do you see what Augustine would say? Love of Christ for others, fear of others, they're they're binary, they're opposites, right? So we're called to philozenia, to love people. And that's a beautiful thing. I know it's difficult being part of a large church because you don't know everybody, and being a diverse church because there's people that are very different than you, right? But this is a great place for you to practice philozenia. See, if you're in a little hundred and church where everybody's the same culture and votes the same and all that, you don't get a chance to do this. At Garfield, we have strangers. We got really strange people. We do. If you're a strange person, clap your hand. Yeah. And we get a chance to do this. So don't sit at a table and know, talk to people you know. How boring is that? That's xenophobia. Practice philozenia. I have, thank you. The, the, the Bible says to us in Hebrews 13, says, um, let mutual love, look at that, continue agape love. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Guess what that word is? Philoxenia, right? Love for the other. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I am married to a philozenia maniac. I am. My wife, there's no strangers in her world, right? I was speaking in Toronto in 2017, and we spent a couple extra days to just hang out we went and see a concert by the Doobie Brothers and Seely Dan. The millennials are like, who is the Doobie Brothers? But they, they were cool in our day. And we were up there and we were hanging out. And there was this amazing brewery. The Toronto was known for this brewery down on the lake. And I wanted to go there for the view. Um, and we went. And it was like a long waiting line. You put your family name in. But my wife, my yellow lab, I have a yellow lab. When she sees a rabbit in the backyard, you know what she does? She goes like this. When my wife sees somebody by themselves, or she sees a member like of the LGBTQ community that comes in here and they're not sure if they're going to be safe, or she sees a young adult at our cafe by themselves, and she goes. <laughs> so there was this woman that was by herself at this brewery while we're waiting in line, and, um, and so she went over and talked to her. I got a picture of it because um, it's right there. And uh, we missed our table call three times. I had to put our name back in three times because Terry was, and they became friends. They talk now on the phone. Um, three times they called her name. I said, "Hey, they called our table. She went. I was angry. I took a picture of it to taunt her, and now it's become a holy grail because uh, that's who she is. That's what she does because she feels... God has called to the stranger. Do you know we had somebody call the church one time? She's our receptionist. They called the church. It was the wrong number. And they went out to lunch. (laughs) And her name's Betty Hatchett. She's in another state right now, Betty, if you're watching us. And she ended up joining our church and becoming baptized here and part of our hospitality committee. (laughs) And I wondered where she got that. Where did that come from? And then I remembered... Saying the words for my father-in-law, we have a picture of him at Perry's wedding last year. That's my dad. And he went home to be with God. And my dad, you know, here I, I was a business owner when I met him Two Ivy League degrees. He was the son of a sharecropper in North Carolina. Never got his GED maybe 10 years after. And I remember when my wife and I were dating and I had to meet the parents. Um, you ever seen that movie? And my mother-in-law was the smartest person I ever met. I walked in I had a dress shirt on and there was a little plate of food and my dad had the Bible and I had to take my seat at the interrogation table I'll never forget I was down with my brothers and sisters before we did his funeral I said I just gotta go sit in the interrogation room again and he interviewed me and my mother-in-law just looked like if my carotid artery was moving you know and he asked me about character and integrity and uh, because he was going to entrust me with two of his most precious possessions. His daughter and his only granddaughter at the time. And he was checking me out. And it was so special. And I guess I passed the interview. Because we went to dinner with them the next day and I came to the house. And I was at his table. And it was a sacred table. And my father-in-law was amazing with him. He, if he met you, he was a yellow for sure. He would always, he'd talk to you, anybody. He'd talk to strangers, he'd talk to anybody. That's what my wife got. But he would always use as a conversation starter, like, do you know Muhammad Ali? Like, do you know um, Sam Cooke? Like, some of the heroes of the African-American history. He would say that, and it's like, you know, people would, that's how he began. You know what he did with me at his table? I was sitting there for the first time after I passed the test. He said, Chip, do you know Elvis? (laughs) I said, uh... Not personally. And I thought, I told Terry afterwards, man, that was so weird. He was telling me about hound dog and blue suede shoes and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, your dad's a little different, you know. Do you know years later I realized in the 80s when Terry and I got together, only 10% of America was in favor of interracial marriage. And he thought of the most famous white person he could think of to ask me about. So that I would know I was always welcome at his table. Do you have the courage to do that? It's expensive, you know. When you let people into your home and into your favorite restaurants. Some of us don't have homes or your your favorite haunts. I remember I was in Elyria, my first church, it was in an urban center and low income and everything, and I was working 90 hours a week. People asked me, what was my staff? I said, my staff is me, myself, and I, and my unpaid wife. And we were blowing it up, we had kids, we had a nonprofit working with, kind of like what Scott's doing over there, South Euclid, with uh, Kids Club, we were doing all this stuff. But I had one little retreat, one little retreat. I'm a crazy fisherman, I am. And I had a boat, I had a Lund 19-foot boat, and I used to trailer it. And when things would get hectic, I'd hook up my boat, I'd go up to Avon Point, I'd meet my buddy Kevin, we'd go out and hit the wall line, the steelhead. And one day, I was getting ready, I was leaving the church, I had my fishing poles, I was going to go home, and Ronald was standing there. Ronald was one of the teenagers in our drug elimination program. And he said, where are you going, Pastor Chip? So I'm going fishing, Ronald. He said, you know, I used to fish, but my grandpa took me, but he died a few years ago. To go ask your mom. If she comes down, and says it's okay. I did so much illegal stuff back then with no written permissions. Left as if she says okay, we'll go fishing. He went out fishing with me, and we tore him up. We got a bunch of walleye, and so I, I filleted them back at the church, sent them home to her family. And next day, um, some of the people from the community were coming in and said, Do you have any walleye in your freezer." So I started stocking the church freezer with walleye because people were coming through and the homeless and others. And One day I went out in the parking lot and there was Isaac. Isaac was a member of the gang in the town. He has gang colors on and he had a little nine block in the back of his pant band. And Isaac said, did you take Ronald fishing? I said, yeah, Isaac, I did. He said, I've never been fishing. <laughs> I said, well, that thing in your waistband, you can't bring it with you. But if you put that Aside, you can go fishing with me. And me and Isaac went fishing, and I was so mad at God. I was. I said, God, this was my only thing. And you, and I felt God laughing at me, saying, I'm not just your Savior, I'm your Lord. I moved into your life chip, and I control every area of your life. Are you willing? Are you able? to make room at your table. The last thing Augustine said was love one another, stop being afraid of people that are different, take time and energy, and lastly, ask the Holy Spirit to come in because we can't do it without his help. Jesus was the ultimate homeless person. He left the greatest party, the Trinity, the, the heavenly party he left the banquet. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I have nowhere to leave my nest. He became the ultimate homeless person so he could become the ultimate host. So he could turn water into wine. So that he can say, in my father's house are many rooms and bring us to the table. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, every political persuasion, every generation would come and act the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Come on, somebody, and proclaim that he is Lord. Yeah. And if we can keep that first, guess what? We can build a longer table. Yeah. Are you willing to work for that? Ask God to help you. It's hard. Garfield Memorial Church, thank you for being a leader in this movement. But all of us, all of us need to commit ourselves to that cost. Do not curse the brokenness of this world. Unless you're willing to be a bridge. And my sister Ania Okobi told me on Sunday. Or on Sunday. It was Sunday to me at the Mosaic Conference. She said, Chip, you're a bridge. You're a bridge. I said, thank you, Ania. She said, no, that's not a compliment. Because when you're a bridge, people walk all over you. Are you willing to be walked all over? So that people can Come. From the north and the south and the east and the west. To what? Sit at table in the kingdom of God. It's a good ministry. Let's do it together. Amen?